All right. Well, happy Mother's Day again, everyone. Uh, welcome to Citizens. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the church. Um, so great to see so many of you. And, um, you know, as Elizabeth and uh, DC shared um, and, and Jane shared at the beginning, too, you know, we definitely want to, you know, hold space as a community for both those who are celebrating uh, this day and also for those who are grieving this day, whether uh, it's because you are grieving the loss of your mom um, or the loss of a child. We know that this season has been uh, full of so much grief um, in our community, uh, whether you have a strained relationship with your mom or a mother figure or, or you're hoping to become a mom and have yet to become uh, one. I just want to say that we see you as a church, um, that God sees you, um, and that as a church we want to grieve with you as well. Um, on this day that is also all about honoring women, um, I would also be remiss not to say at least a few words um, regarding um, the news that came out this week about a leaked document in the Supreme Court uh, regarding the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. And um, we've gotten uh, a lot of messages and emails um, about that, and we know that you know people are kind of navigating this stuff in real time. And, um, I'm sure it has stirred up a lot of emotion, even with our, within our own community. And uh, one thing I want to say, especially if you're joining us for the first time, um, as a church, it is one of our core values to put people first. And we say people first over programs, politics, and positions. And that is a value that, is, that we hold to. That is a value that we try to embed in everything we do as a church, especially in this time and in this cultural moment when it's so easy to revert back to binary, black and white, either or thinking, we understand that so many of these issues that we're dealing with are so complex and so nuanced and actually impact members of our community. And I think the sad reality, uh, especially about this very complex topic of abortion, is that we have talked about it in ways that has done the exact opposite. You know, where uh, we have ignored that this is something that is deeply personal for so many women. It's a topic that has systemic implications, and, and I think the most troubling thing is that it's often been Christians who've talked about it in the most damaging ways. And so, um, I mean, to be completely honest, um, even as a man up here on this pulpit, uh, I feel a little bit inadequate to be talking about this. And so, what we actually want to do is, especially with topics as sensitive as this, uh, we want to create space um, safe space for open conversation um, around something, again, that um, has been extremely closed, that brings, that brings with it so much shame and cultural baggage. And so as a first step, uh, tomorrow evening, we're actually going to have a prayer gathering on Zoom at 8 p.m. It's going to be co-led by myself and a sister in our community. And I'm also going to stay on the Zoom afterwards. Uh, we're going to have some of our um, sisters on staff also stay on the Zoom afterwards for anyone who wants to process anything. Um, we know uh, this has been overwhelming for so many of you, and so we want to offer this space where we can at least start by being honest with God about where we're at and what we're feeling, okay? And, and the last thing I'll say before we get into the word is, is that as a church, one, two things we will affirm is that women deeply matter to God and children deeply matter to God. And as a community, I hope that we can wrestle with the implications of these two statements together with 
grace, compassion, and love. And so um, on that QR code that maybe you scanned or on the link tree in our bio on our Instagram page, uh, you're going to be able to find a link to that Zoom. So that's, again, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. We're just going to pray together as a community, and then I'll stick around a little bit afterwards uh, for those who want to have some conversation or process some of this stuff in real time. Okay? Uh, well, with that, uh, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, um, if you want to turn with me to the book of Luke, we're looking at chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Um, if you're following along on an app and you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and you'll also see it uh, on the screen behind me as well. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. This is the reading of God's word. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, if you've been with us, you know that our church is currently in a series through the book of Ruth, and um, you know that we're trying something new for this series where uh, one week we'll look at a passage in Ruth, and then the very next week we'll look at a New Testament uh, text that develops or expands on an idea uh, or theme from that passage. And we're doing this again uh, just to remind ourselves regularly that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament, that uh, the Bible is not just a collection of isolated stories, but it's one long, continuous story about who God is and his work of redemption in the world. And last week, uh, DC unpacked Ruth chapter 3 for us. Uh, if you haven't listened to that sermon yet, I would definitely go back and take a listen. Uh, but to give us a quick recap of where we are in the story of Ruth, okay? At the end of chapter 1, you have two women who have hit rock bottom. Okay, you have uh, an Israelite widow, Naomi, who's not only lost her husband, but both her sons. Uh, and, and she's living alone with her Moabite daughter-in-law in a culture uh, that is extremely patriarchal, where a woman derived all her value and worth from the men in her life. And I think all of us can agree that uh, even in 2022, as, as much progress as, we, as we've made, uh, we're still pushing back on some of those systems of patriarchy today. And this is, the, this is the world that Ruth and Naomi are in. And, and basically what ends up happening is that Naomi is so distraught that she basically renames herself to, to the name Mara, which means bitter. She says, I'm cursed, God hates me, I have nothing to live for, I have nothing of value to offer 
anyone. And yet it's precisely in this moment that we see God begin to move. And he moves in a very interesting way, right? Because God, we know that God has the power to just snap his fingers and change her, her life instantaneously, and yet he doesn't. Instead, he actually moves using the small, ordinary acts of faith in the people around her, right? You have Ruth, who in faith puts her own well-being on the line to provide for her mother-in-law, who in faith takes a bold risk and asks this wealthy Israelite landowner, Boaz, if she can glean in his field. And then you have Boaz, who in faith, right, not only obliges to Ruth's request, but also gives her a seat at his table and provides her with protection and a community of women around her, right? You have all these small steps of faith which set in motion a chain reaction that eventually leads to Naomi's, a reversal of Naomi's misfortune, right? And you, when you read Ruth chapter 3, uh, Naomi just looks like a completely different woman than the woman we saw at the end of Ruth chapter 1, right? She's now witnessed firsthand the hand of God moving in the most unimaginable ways. And so she's no longer just a, part a passive participant. She's now an active agent in the story God is writing in her life. And something DC talked about last week that I thought was really helpful that I want to develop a bit more today uh, is that the faith we see in Naomi uh, in Ruth chapter 3 doesn't just come out of thin air. There's a progression, right? DC talked about how at the end of Ruth chapter 1, Naomi is in a defensive posture. She's just, she's just trying to survive. She's hanging by a thread, and then God provides her with Ruth, right? And then at the beginning of Ruth chapter 2, she takes a small step forward in faith by letting Ruth glean in Boaz's field. Well, by the end of chapter 2, in response to God's incredible provision in her life, she tells Ruth, okay, I think I see God might be up to something. Why don't you go stay on Boaz's field? Why don't you stay with the women there? Because I feel like God might be up to something here. Again, just a small step of faith. And by the time we get to Ruth chapter 3, you get this completely different picture of Naomi. Right? She's like this master puppeteer orchestrating this elaborate plan to secure a future for her daughter-in-law. And even when things don't pan out exactly the way Naomi or Ruth expected to, right? even you know, if you read chapter 3, there's that heart drop moment. At the end of Ruth chapter 3, Naomi doesn't revert back to Ruth chapter 1 Naomi. She doesn't say, oh, I'm cursed. See, this is my life. This is the story of my life. No, she says, just wait. I think God might be up to something. Just wait. And I think oftentimes we see the end result, right? We see Naomi at the end of Ruth chapter 3. Um, we see the Naomi of Ruth chapter 1. And then we just kind of forget about everything in between. That oftentimes these bold leaps of faith really come from just a progression of a small series of decisions that happen in between. You know, um, at the end of 2018, uh, I was going through a really dark season. Um, I was struggling with depression. Um, at the time, I'd resigned from my job. I was questioning my calling. Um, literally had no idea what I was going to do next. Keep in mind, I had two kids. Uh, my son wasn't even one yet. And um, the only option I felt like at the time was to just go back and finish seminary. Um, but I was getting super anxious because I wasn't bringing in any money for our family. Um, and I didn't even know if I wanted to go into full-time ministry, but here I was, like I was going to spend money to finish up seminary. 
Um, you know, I was thinking, what am I going to do after graduation? How am I going to provide for my family? You know, am I just going to waste my Ivy League education? Um, all these questions and a lot of anxiety, right? And I remember I was in a small group in one of my seminary classes, and I was sharing that anxiety with my small group leader. And she said something to me that I will never forget. She said, Jason, I know you're thinking six months, one year, five years down the line. But what about just the next faithful step? She said, what about just the next faithful step? She said, what do you have to do today? And I said, you know, I... Well, after this, I got to go home. I got to cook dinner for my kids. You know, we have a paper due on Friday. All right, she's like, okay. Go home, cook dinner for your kids. Be present with them. Why don't you write the intro to your paper and then get a good night's sleep, wake up in the morning, and ask God for the next faithful step. And keep doing that, the next faithful step. And I didn't believe her really. It didn't really make sense to me, but I did that. For a moment, I just kind of stopped thinking about all the questions about my future. I, I kind of like put my existential crisis on hold, and I just said, I'm going to do the next faithful step. I'm going to go home, cook dinner, and that's what I did. And every day, I woke up, and I asked God, what is the next faithful step? Sometimes it was going for a walk. Sometimes it was journaling. Sometimes it was going out to dinner with friends. Sometimes it was making a phone call, going to an info session, and literally one step at a time, God began to guide me. It was like there was this light, but that it was only bright enough to, to shine light on the, the one step in front of me. And that's the way God guided me. And one day, six months later, I woke up, and that next faithful step that morning this happened to be the conversation during which I accepted the call to be the lead pastor of this community. Six months ago, I could have never believed or, or imagined a scenario like that, but it was one faithful step at a time. And when I look back on that, I realized that though I couldn't see what was happening in real time, every one of those steps mattered. Every one of those steps, God's hand was moving. He was moving pieces around. He was opening and closing doors. He was bringing certain people into my life, shifting my paradigms of thinking, expanding my heart. We don't always know what God is up to in the same way that Ruth and Naomi had no idea what God was up to. They just took the next faithful step. And the passage we're looking at today gives us a picture of what taking that next faithful step looks like. This is Luke's account of Jesus calling his first disciples, and it's really different from the accounts we read in Matthew and Mark. In Matthew and Mark's account, all we read is that Jesus sees the disciples, he sees them fishing, he goes up to them, and he says, come follow me, and it says, at once they left everything and followed him. And I, I used to read those accounts, and I used to feel really discouraged because it's really dramatic and it's profound, but it's so unrelatable. Right? Like how many of us you know, can respond to a calling like that, just leave everything and follow Jesus? And yet what I love about Luke's account is that you realize it wasn't like an instantaneous snap of a finger decision to just drop everything and follow him. It was a progression of faith. 
what you see is a picture of people just taking the next faithful step. And it's the culmination of all of these small steps that ends up being the decision to leave their boats and follow Jesus. Okay, and I know, especially when we have joint worships, we have children joining us, and some of our children are learning how to take notes, so I try to make these um, as easy to follow as possible. So we have three points today, and if you're taking notes, the first answer is this question. What does the next faithful step look like? The second is, why is taking that step so difficult? And the third is, how do we take it? Okay, what does the next faithful step look like? Why is taking that step so difficult, and how do we take it? Okay, so first, what does the next faithful step look like? And I mentioned this already, but more often than not, it's small. It's small. Notice Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He sees the fishermen washing their nets. They're not even paying attention to Jesus, okay? He's speaking to the crowds. He sees them, and he goes, and he sits in uh, Simon's boat, and he just says, why don't you push out a little from the shore? Notice, Jesus does not tell Simon to leave his boat and follow him. He meets the disciples where they're at. They are disinterested at that moment. And he says, Simon, why don't you just push out the boat just a little? Just a little. I'm not asking you to go empty out your bank account and give it all to the poor tomorrow. Maybe just set aside a little bit and give it to someone in the community who is in need. Just push out the boat a little. You know, I think it's really funny, right, that we get so upset when the difficult people in our lives don't change overnight. And yet Jesus never expected that either, right? He says, just a little. Just push the boat out. A little. I think sometimes we also get in our heads because we feel like what God asks of us is something so big. You know, oftentimes I talk to um, parents, you know, I talk to dads in our Intentional Father book club. I talk to a lot of dads who are saying, I, I just, sometimes it's overwhelming because I can't be the perfect dad. I can't be the perfect husband. I can't be perfect. I can't kill it at work and then come home and kill it you know, and, and, and kill it at home. I mean, it's just so overwhelming. And yet sometimes Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. Maybe the next faithful step is, why don't you go get burgers with your kids? Go play a video game with your son. Sometimes the next faithful step is small. We all think following Jesus and being the people God has called us to be has to be this really grand act of faith just say hi to someone at church after service today, right? Just push the boat out a little. And for Simon, this isn't that difficult because he's a fisherman. This is what he does. This is his job. And so Jesus meets him exactly where he's at, and he's asking Simon simply to do something he's been doing every day of his life, something that's natural to who he is. So a question that we, I have to ask everyone here is who or what do you see right in front of you? that you feel Jesus might be inviting you to take a step toward. He's not asking you to go out of your way. Who's right in front of you? What is right in front of you that Jesus might be inviting you to take a small step toward? You love children? Children's ministry needs volunteers. All right, I'm just saying. It's a nice little faithful step there, okay? 
But conversely, you know, maybe the next faithful step is just to take a break, right? I think, like, especially Christians who've grown up in the Asian American church where you equated serving a lot with, like, a mature faith, I think sometimes the next faithful step is to just take a break. Notice, right after uh, Jesus tells Simon to push out the boat a little, it says he, he, he actually teaches, he speaks. And it's a reminder that sometimes the next faithful step is to move, and sometimes it's just to sit and listen. Right? You have to discern that. You know, and then notice after this, right? And I love this back and forth. Simon takes a step, Jesus responds, and then notice after Jesus finishes speaking, he says, okay, let's take the next faithful step. Let's put out into deeper water. Right? Let's go a little bit deeper. You know, my daughter Avery, she's learning piano right now. Um, thank God I'm not her teacher because I'm a little bit of a tiger dad, okay? Um, but she has an amazing teacher. And, and, and why her teacher is so good is that she understands how much she can, like, how much she can push, how much she can pull. She understands that perfect balance between challenge and support. So she'll be like, okay, Avery, I want you to do this. Play these notes. Avery does it, and then she responds. She'll teach a little bit. She says, okay, that's great. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit further. Can you try this? Right? And it's this delicate balance and it's this dance that we have with God. And Jesus never often tells us, figure out the whole symphony tomorrow. No, Jesus is the good teacher. Jesus is like, take the next faithful step. He sits and teaches. Let's go into deeper water. Now let down the nets. Wow, you see all that fish that you just caught? Let's go even deeper. Now I don't want you to just fish I want you to fish for people, right? And we see this progression of faith. There are usually a lot of little things before we get to the big thing. Before reconciliation, there's usually a text or a, hey, how you been, right? Often what Jesus is asking us to do is simply to push out a little. Okay, so that's point number one. Now, number two, Okay, why is taking this step so difficult? Okay, just because the next faithful step is small doesn't mean it's not hard. Okay, telling your friend you need boundaries, that's a small step. So hard, okay, especially if you're like me and hate conflict. Saying sorry, it's a little step. So hard, okay, saying there's nothing harder than saying sorry, I was wrong, right? And why is that taking that step so difficult? And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons, okay? Number one, because we like to be in control. We like to know how the story is going to turn out before we take a step in faith. We want to feel like we know where we're going, right? If I, if I take this step, God, to change careers, I want you to tell me that I'm actually going to make it in this industry. I want you to, I want you to tell me and reassure me that this is going to be the right move, Right? If I take this step out in faith and swallow my pride and apologize, I want you to assure me that the person is going to apologize back and things are going to go back to normal. And yet we know this is not how faith works. This is never how the Bible works. God in Genesis 12 goes to Abram. He doesn't say how he's going to make Abram into a great nation. He just says go. When God tells us he works for the good of all those who love him, he doesn't tell us how. He just tells us that he's going to do it. Take the next 
faithful step. This is what faith is. Each step is going to feel like a step into the unknown. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Which brings me to the second reason that the next faithful step is so different, difficult, is when you can't see the end and when you can't see the whole story and you don't know what God is up to and exactly where the story is headed, that next faithful step, more often than not, is going to feel extremely counterintuitive and maybe even irrational. It's not going to make sense. Notice the first thing Simon says when Jesus says, okay, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Translation, are you sure you know what you're saying? Are you sure you want me to do this? Because that doesn't make sense. We fished all night and we haven't caught anything. Now we're in the middle of the day. Nobody fishes at this time of the day. And you want me to come into deeper water? All the fish are near the shore. And Peter is a fisherman. So he knows better than anyone. It doesn't make sense. But you see, what we understand is that faithfulness to Jesus is often going to look like foolishness to the world. Faithfulness to Jesus is often going to look like foolishness to the world. What do you mean you're going to give up stability and security to pursue something you feel God is calling you to? doesn't make sense. What do you mean you're going to end your workday hard stop at 5 p.m. so you can spend some quality time with your family? doesn't make sense. Why would you do that to your productivity? What do you mean you're going to close the shop one day a week so you can Sabbath? That's crazy. You know how much money you can make? Often faithfulness to Jesus looks like foolishness to the world. But you see, this is what Jesus does. He leads us out of our comfort zone. He leads us out of what is convenient or efficient or logical in order to show us more of himself. And in that moment, Simon has a choice. He can choose to stay near the shore where he's comfortable, where he's been, or he can take the next faithful step into the unknown. And what Simon chooses ultimately changes the trajectory of his life. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. And when you read this, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't promise Simon the catch of his life. Jesus doesn't tell Simon what letting down the nets is going to produce. He says, just let down the nets. And Peter says, because you say so. God, I don't get it. God, I don't even agree. God, I have a lot of questions. God, I failed a lot. God, I don't think I can do this. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will not stay where I am. I will take the next faithful step. And we see this posture in Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before his crucifixion, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What Jesus is saying is, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Is there any other step that I can take except this one? But he says, not my will, but yours be done. Because you say so, I will take the next faithful step. And that faithful step was the cross. It was a decision that looked like utter foolishness to the, to the world. It's probably what the fishermen are thinking as they're watching Peter go out into the deep and let down his nets. They're like, what is he doing? 
Why is he wasting his time? The king of the Jews isn't supposed to be hanging on a cross, dying a criminal's death. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done, because you say so. Now, caveat. Please don't go out after this and say, and do something wild and say, God made me do it, okay? Like, do not go up to, don't be creepy and go up to that girl you've been eyeing and be like, this is my next faithful step, okay? <laughs> do not do that, okay? Obviously, these steps take discernment, wisdom, and community, okay? Um, but it's taking, it's in taking these steps, and, and let's be honest, like, we're going to be wrong a lot. But it's in taking these intentional steps of faith that we grow and mature into the people God has called us to be. Okay, which brings me to the final point. How do we take the next faithful step? Okay, if it's this difficult, how do we do it? Where do we find the boldness, the courage, the strength to step out into the unknown? What gave Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz the ability to take such bold risks? What gave these disciples, who at the beginning of this story weren't even paying attention to Jesus, what gave them the courage to be able to leave everything and follow him? And keep in mind, they didn't just leave their boats. They left the biggest catch of their lives. What gave them the boldness and the confidence to be able to do that? And I'm guessing that for many of us sitting here today, I know that Jesus is inviting you to take a small step of faith. I think it's different for everyone. We all have a next faithful step. There's something in us I feel that God is inviting us to take. For some of us, that step might be as small as changing your major even though you know you're going to be disappointing your parents. For some of us, that small faithful step is filling out a counseling interest form at our church and getting the help you need. Small. Or maybe Jesus is calling you into deeper water. Maybe he's calling you to let go of something you've been holding on to tightly. Maybe he's calling you to reach out to that person you haven't reached out to in a long time. Maybe he's asking you to give up an addiction or a habit that's been wreaking havoc on your life. And maybe you've been resisting it because you're comfortable or complacent. Or maybe you're resisting it because you're terrified of what might be on the other side. Peter was terrified too. After he hauls these two nets, huge nets of fish in, he's not celebrating. Did you notice that? Biggest catch of his life and he's not celebrating. In fact, it says he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Even though he doesn't understand exactly who Jesus is, in that moment, Peter knows he's in the presence of someone who's not of this world, and he knows that this moment demands a response because he's just witnessed the impossible. And ironically, what we see in Peter's progression of faith from the beginning to the end is not that Peter becomes more sure of himself. He actually becomes less sure of himself. It's not that Peter becomes stronger. He actually becomes more aware of his weakness. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
You see, the more we step into the life God has called us to live, the more we realize how lost we are without him. And so if you're feeling confused or uncertain or terrified of the next step, whatever that may be for you, I want to say you're not in a bad place. You may be exactly where God wants you to be because faith isn't about our ability to take the right step. Faith is simply knowing that Jesus is near even when we take the wrong one. I want to say that again. Faith is not about our ability to take the right step. Faith is simply knowing that Jesus is near even when we take the wrong one. You know, this story in Luke 5 would have been so inspiring if it ended here in verse 11, right? It starts with these disinterested fishermen who could care less that Jesus is preaching. Jesus encounters them, invites them to take the next faithful step. They have this aha moment. They leave their boats and follow him. I mean, it's so crazy that after this story, Simon's name gets changed to Peter, which means the rock. So Jesus doesn't just give him a new mission. He gives him a new identity, a new name, and he says, live this new life. And he, you would think he just rides off into the sunset and becomes this, like, elite Christian. And that would be great. But we know that's not how the story goes. Right? In fact, three chapters later, three chapters later, we read the story of Jesus calling Peter out of his boat to walk on water, and he can't do it. The same guy who got out of his boat in Luke 5 and left everything to follow Jesus by chapter 8 is already sinking because he's afraid. And when he calls out to Jesus, Lord, save me, it says Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and catches him. And it makes you realize maybe Luke 5 is not about the disciples' faithfulness. Maybe it was always about God's faithfulness. From the beginning, it's Jesus who sees them, and it's Jesus who sustains them. You know, something that jacked me up this week as I was studying this passage that I never noticed before is that at the beginning of this story, it says that Jesus sees the fisherman, and then he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and then asked him to put out a little from the shore, okay? Notice, Jesus doesn't tell Simon what to do from a distance. He doesn't tell Simon to do anything until he gets into the boat with him. He gets into the boat with Simon. There's nothing Jesus will ask us to do that he isn't willing to do himself. There is no place Jesus will ask us to go that he has not gone himself. Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. For you are with me. Jesus never asks us to take a faithful step from a distance. He gets into the boat with us. But here's what's really, really, really interesting, and here's what really got me. Why does Luke feel the need to mention that Jesus chose the boat belonging to Simon? That's a strange detail, right? If you're writing the Gospels, it's like, oh, by the way, he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. It's as though Luke wants us to know that Jesus chooses Simon's boat before Simon ever takes his first step forward. And it made me think Jesus doesn't get into the boat with us after we prove to be his disciple. He doesn't love us after we become Peter. He loves us while we're still Simon. 
He's in the boat with us when we're on fire for him. And he's in the boat with us when we want nothing to do with him. Because this is who Jesus is. And we all know how the story of Peter turns out at the end of Luke 5. You know, Peter seems like he's on an upward trajectory of faith. He's a changed man. He's making progress. And then he's going to go on and live life with Jesus and see Jesus perform far greater miracles than even this one in Luke 5. And yet when that moment of truth comes and when he's offered the ability to take the next faithful step, we know what happens. In the end, he chooses incorrectly. He denies Jesus three times and abandons his best friend when he needs him the most. Why? Because Peter was afraid. Isn't it funny what fear can do to us? You know what Jesus is capable of. You know the beautiful life Jesus offers to us. And yet we're so afraid to take the next faithful step. And this is what happens to Peter. And he ends up going back to his old life, going back to his old ways. He's just fishing near the shore. But then Jesus appears to him again. And he finds him in the exact same place, doing the exact same thing, just fishing. We read about it in John's gospel, and I never saw this before, but in John 21, when the resurrected Jesus addresses Peter, he doesn't call him by his new name. He's now Peter. That should be what Jesus calls him. He doesn't call him that. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Simon, can you imagine the flood of emotions Peter must have felt in that moment? Jesus is saying, I know you think you're a failure. I know you think you've disappointed me. I know you think you haven't lived up to your name. I know you think I want nothing to do with you now. But did you already forget? I got into your boat when you were Simon. I didn't get into your boat after you became Peter. I chose you before you chose me. Don't ever forget that. So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is Jesus' way of recreating their first encounter. He's saying, Peter, we're back at square one. Simon, just push the boat out a little. Do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. To which Jesus says, then let's go a little deeper. Feed my sheep. Take the next faithful step. Follow me. And the rest is history. Friends, no matter where you are this morning or what you're going through, no matter how far you feel from God, Jesus invites you back into life with him one small step at a time. And that step can be scary that step can force us out of our comfort zones, and we may not even know if it's the right step. But we can take that step with boldness and confidence, knowing that faith ultimately isn't about our ability to take the right step. It's about knowing Jesus will never leave us, even when we take the wrong one. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this word. I suspect that many in our congregation and many sitting here today have huge decisions looming in front of them. Where to send their kids to school, what they're going to do after graduation, whether or not they should stay in a relationship or pursue a relationship. And these decisions can become overwhelming. They can produce so much anxiety in our hearts. Uh, they can uh, force us to confront baggage that we didn't know was there. But God, we believe that this morning you're inviting us to take just the next faithful step. And you're not inviting us to take this step alone, but you're promising to get into the boat with us, to never leave us, and to be close enough to catch us when we fall, when we take the wrong step. This is the gospel. That it's not that we loved you first, but that you loved us first. You chose us before we chose you. And I pray that that would give our hearts such a sense of comfort and confidence this morning, knowing that there is so much grace available to us if we would just see. God, we thank you that when you were posed with the decision to take the next faithful step toward the cross, you did. We thank you that you sacrificed everything and you gave every ounce of your being so that as we take our next faithful step, we would be able to do so with boldness, courage, and strength. We love you, but we know that you always first loved us. We thank you. And we pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen.